Well, this afternoon we're turning to 1 Peter 2. That's in connection with the 10th commandment. But you shall not covet the various things of your neighbor, your neighbor's wife, his uh, ox or donkey, his house, or any of his servants. You shall not covet. And uh, 1 Peter 2, maybe in your Bible, it's page 1391. Hear the word of God. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense... They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's our reading from 1 Peter 2. Let's take our um, book of praise and we're going to read... Take our confessional reading from Lord's Day 44, page 558 in the Book of Praise. Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. It's particularly the first one that we're looking at this afternoon. A 
After the sermon, let's sing uh, Psalm 98, 1, 2, and 3. Congregation, loved by Jesus Christ our Lord, we've come to the climax of the Ten Commandments, the law of God. For a lot of people, the commands like you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal are pretty huge. These ones, maybe they're in your memory, but the truth is the Tenth Commandment is the ultimate. You could survive. I think there's a sense you could survive the other commandments with your pride intact. If you read them quickly and on the surface, you could survive the commands with a sense that you are a good person. Like most people in the world, you think you're just fine. If there are only nine commandments, after you've died, you would appear before God. You would expect, I've been a good person. If there were only nine commandments and you died at your funeral, all sorts of people would be saying, yeah, this is a good person. You never murdered, you never committed adultery, you never stole, you never bore false witness. Without the tenth commandment, you might easily conclude that you don't need a savior. But the tenth commandment is really the ultimate because if you're even half asleep this afternoon, you notice this one cut straight to the heart. It's only about the heart. The other commandments, you have to massage them a little bit, pull in other scripture passages, and you realize it was getting at the heart. But this one, it's only about the heart. It's about desires. You know, where what you want, what you wish, what you hope for, all of that comes out of the heart. You shall not covet what a great commandment to get at the heart. And how relevant today. The Lord Jesus Christ, your King, He forbids coveting because He is your Savior and He is saving you from that trouble of coveting. He's saving you from coveting. And uh, that's going to be our first point. What is He saving us from? Why is He telling us not to covet. What is he saving us from? And our first point is going to be death. He's saving us from death. When the Lord gave the, ten, the tenth commandment, he puts us at war. And if you're ever uncomfortable inside your soul, it's because you have two armies at war in your very heart. There is no way you could say, I want or I wish. If only as a neutral person because there are these armies and both armies within you you have the old nature you have your evil side the old nature who's using the same language as your new nature who you are in Christ it's also got the I want and I need and I must and I wish but can you tell who is speaking when the Lord says you shall not covet those things that belong to your neighbor, he puts us at war within ourselves. Think about how simple and peaceful it was before God ever said those words, right? Anytime you desired something, it was obvious. You know exactly what I'm going to do. It's who I am. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow my desire. And then the Tenth Commandment, the Tenth Commandment comes along, and not all desires are good, apparently. Why? 
At this point, I was, I was fine. I was thinking, as long as I don't outright murder someone, I don't steal, uh, I don't um, wreck a marriage, I, I, I don't become greedy, I, I would be, as long as I'm not filled with lust, all of this, I, I'm doing fine. But now, when you say, you shall not covet, when the Lord Jesus says that, then I've got murderous thoughts. I've got greedy thoughts. I've got angry thoughts. Lustful thoughts. And then it even gets into the area, like those are the wrong things, but what about the good things? That even they are not safe. I could be hungry. I could be thirsty. I could be cold or hot, excited or bored. It used to be just fine. I could just follow whatever I wanted. But now even how I feel I have to figure out whether that's right or wrong. Because I have this new nature worked by the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ gives us the tenth commandment and know nothing is simple that's going on inside my heart. Because of the tenth commandment, He is saving you from certain death. And that's the point. What's the Lord saving us from? Death. You just think of James chapter 1, verse 14. Every person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. There you have it. The Apostle Paul will say it like this. The wages of sin is death. And so here's the ultimate commandment. Jesus Christ says you don't have a safe little desire in your heart. There's not a single wish, not a single I want that's neutral. Most of them, many of them grow up and they earn death for you. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You just think of it. I wish I had that fruit. And they had some good arguments and discussion. That desire grows. Uh, Satan presents some arguments. And they're looking at the fruit. And it's like, and looking like it's good for food. Good to the eyes. Good for gaining wisdom. And it doesn't take long. And just being presented with it becomes all-out death. The coveting desire. All-out death. Now our Lord Jesus Christ proclaims the gospel. I present to you a battle in your own heart. You now know that a mere wish of your heart, one of those little cries, if only I had, is a battle cry of something inside your heart. Is it from the kingdom of Christ? Or is it from the domain of darkness, of Satan? Because the powers of evil, they are gladly supplying weapons to take you down. And it starts with a little whisper. Wouldn't it be nice if you just had fill in the blank? Now Jesus Christ proclaims the gospel. His death on the cross is a public message for you. That this is what desires do. Sinful desires, I have to add. They lead to death, and Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for nothing. 
It was our sinful desires that placed him there. In fact, just in raw, literal terms, crowds shouting, I wish you were crucified, is what led Christ to death. But you know that he had your sins placed on him. Your sinful desires, the guilt of following after every wish of your own. And so Jesus Christ forbids. He says coveting is wrong because he's saving us from that grip of desire. Jesus saves us from the grip of desires, these evil ones, but then also those harmless ones that turn out to be evil in the long run. If you just give them enough sunshine and water, they grow all out into killing you. You follow? You know God hates sinful desires. So our Lord Jesus Christ commands us to examine the desires of the flesh because you have a body, a human body. We call that flesh. And the Apostle Paul will say, you know, the things that you wish for, the things you want, your flesh has been designed by God to know things like hunger, pleasure, joy, peace. And those good things can really haul you down. Jesus Christ came to release you from the grip of even good desires. We read the gospel in 1 Peter 2. God saves the people. You hear this good news. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And he's using the language of the Old Testament to describe those who are the most holy ones, set apart for God, who can come into his presence. He's saying, you are a chosen generation. You, the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you hear that? He's speaking of your new identity. You've been adopted, saved, called out of darkness. Now watch out for the grip of death. Watch out for those fingers that want to drag you, grip you, and pull you down. Verse 11, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Peter's saying, abstain from, which, you know, means hold off, back away from, get away from, the passions of the flesh, your translation might be, it could be fleshly lusts, but you know it has to be desires of the flesh, abstain from them, hold off from them, because They war against your soul. They are out to destroy you. And Peter's wording is important. He's begging, urging is another way to say it. He's intense about this. He's pressing the point, keep away from the passions of the flesh. And that wording, the lusts of the flesh. Because he's covering pretty much every potential grip from the wrong ones Black and white, wrong, you know, sinful passions like adultery, um, murder, anger, stealing, all those passions. But the Apostle Peter is including also, when he's speaking of the passions of the flesh, of the good things, the supposedly things, the, the, the neutral things we can call them. How about a, a little bit of hunger? How about a desire for a snack? 
And so the 10th commandment speaks to those neutral things. If you hear the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbors, and it's listing things that are good, right? Wife, house, servant, donkey, ox. Put that in the category of those good things that you want to do. The desires of the flesh might be hijacking you. Anyone that's struggled with food, there's all sorts of challenges with just enjoying, thankfully, the food God has set before you. And you know, many today struggle with food that can just hijack you too much or too little. And so you hear the 10th commandment with all this warning in it, you shall not covet what belongs to your neighbor And you hear Jesus Christ say, I want to save you from death. Be prepared to starve out a desire that's not meant to dominate you. Have you ever been slow to answer a desire? You ever put the brakes on a desire? Why don't you just, and then you tell yourself, hang on, wait, that's not right. The Lord Jesus Christ gives you the 10th commandment so that you filter every thought, every desire past Him. He is your King. And it needs to go past Him in prayer. Lord Jesus, is this something you want for me? Is this something you want for me now? What is it that you want me to do or to have? So our first point in short is Jesus Christ doesn't want us to covet because He is our Savior, saving us from the grip of every potential desire. That's what it means for Him to be King, is He says what you should want. What is good in His kingdom? What is life-giving? And He's saving us from the grip of not only evil, but those innocent-looking things that can go out of proportion so quickly to lead us to death. The Heidelberg Catechism says that not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. Why? It leads to death. Our second point, though, let's go to our second. What our Lord Jesus Christ saves us for? It's going to be His glory. What our Lord Jesus saves us for. And there's always a positive side when you hear a commandment. The negative side, black and white here, you shall not covet, set your desire on all those things that don't belong to you. Um, But the positive side, what should we be setting our desire on? And the catechism is going to say it like this, to delight in all righteousness. Or with all our heart, we should always delight in all righteousness. And that should ring a bell. Maybe you know Philippians 4 in the language of whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Think about what glorifies God. Can you help what you think about? Do you have any say in what you think about? 
Maybe sometimes you can't help it. I know if you have a bad dream, many times you don't ask for those dreams. There are some nasty thoughts that go across your radar. You would never wish that to... You, you don't want to think those things. But most of the time, my question is, can you control what you think about? You can. And people have discovered this. You will think about what's in front of you. That's the bottom line. You will think about what's in front of you. And what's in front of you, can you control that? Often. But I'll say, there's an entire industry of what's in front of you today. Absolute marketing industry to, what, to put whatever they want in front of you. Let's say you, you want to go to the news. Who's deciding what's going to be the talking point for what you hear about today on the news? But maybe some of the youth, young people you know about the YouTuber, Mr. Beast, makes some chocolate bars on the side because not only is he great at YouTubing, but he wants to sell chocolate bars because he has somehow made some pretty good ones apparently. And he has discovered that the most precious commodity that money cannot buy is who gets to decide what is in front of your face. Every gas station you go to, what are covering the shelves in front of you as you're checking out? Every checkout line, who's deciding that shelf space? Never mind what's on the shelf, who owns the shelf space? And even the most rich YouTuber in the world is frustrated because there's a monopoly on who gets to show you what. But this is so commonplace now. You go to YouTube, you go to Google search, all of these algorithms are about, we will decide for you what would be first and foremost in your view. That is the industry we're hearing about. If you don't think about it, it is happening to you constantly. And if you do think about it, you're alarmed. You can control your desires. And it doesn't feel like it these days. You have a say in what you think about. But it doesn't feel like it these days. How much you have to go out of your way to deliberately switch things over so that you're not inundated with other people's ideas of what's best for you. What other people think you should want. We almost need a full-out program to help all of us to use technology wisely. How to switch the home page so that I decide deliberately to land on a page that is good for me. A website that would be helpful and uplifting and edifying. How about a podcast? How to be presented with things that are eternal, truths that last, things that are beautiful, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. How do we get that to happen? Because there's no algorithm out there 
that's really interested in what is eternal. How precious it is when you get a text message from a brother or sister that says, just thinking about a text, came across this one. You know, that little message from a brother and sister in the Lord to remind you of what the Scripture says puts you front and center with what is eternal. And we have to do that deliberately as God's people. Here's uh, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 19. He has this approach. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for God's Uh, God's special people, that you may proclaim the, the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Marvelous light. The excellencies of Him. You hear the language? You, you've been adopted, you've been set apart as holy, and your Redeemer, Jesus Christ, wants you to have a pattern of thoughts that are glorifying God. This is what you are being saved for, that you would glorify God, that you would praise Him, you would just revel in delight in Him. God's excellencies. What makes God awesome and praiseworthy? And look at creation, brothers and sisters. There's a few hints of God's power in creation, right? <laughs> a few hints. His wisdom, His power. And look at your salvation, Apostle Peter says. He's called you out of darkness into the most marvelous light. Do you ponder on that? Do you switch the channel? Do you draw attention and place that front and center at the beginning of your day? Once I was not a people. Once we were not a people. But now we're the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. You've been saved for this, brothers and sisters, to glorify God. The reason God saves a people is that we would thank Him and praise Him. The Lord saved us for more than ourselves, though. 1 Peter 2 is going to say, when it gets to the glory of God, you would be doing good. How would you be doing good? By reveling in the excellencies of God, you would be fascinated with the goodness of God, and then you would be, as 1 Peter 2 says, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Wow, that's powerful. That you start with your attention on the glories of God, and when you interact with people, their attention is on the glories of God. That they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, you've been saved for these new desires. You've been saved to be led by the Holy Spirit into uncharted territory where you delight in the Lord and your desire is for God. This tenth commandment is ultimate. God says you can't let any desire define who you are. Not just any desire, your anger, your bitterness, your greed or lust. That's leading you to eternal death. 
And listen to your Savior who comes to you. And as your great high priest, you know your sins are forgiven. What comfort it is to be forgiven of all these sinful desires. He's your high priest. But then I wanted to highlight this as we go from here. You think about your king. If there's any territory, any proof that God is king in your life, if Jesus Christ is truly Lord of you, would he not have say over your desires? The next time you say, I wish I had, or if only, Jesus Christ as Lord has every say about that. You shall not covet. Instead, praise, glorify, put, set your thoughts on what's excellent and good. Lead your desires. Change the channel. Turn to what is eternal and glorify your God who is in heaven. Amen.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We want this new desire to always lift up your name. And your kingdom come. Lord, we want to seek your kingdom first. And your will be done. Father, we want to do what your word says. We want to do your will. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, you know the things that we need. How much we covet and desire things way beyond what we need. Deliver us from the evil one, Father, forgiving our sins, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Yours is all the excellency. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.